Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television, currently focused on HBO's Watchmen, talking Season 1, Episode 7, an almost religious awe, taking the words right out of Dr. Manhattan's mouth, and boy, is that appropriate here, Antonio Mazzaro. No spoilers yet, but my gosh. My gosh is right. What uh, what a significant moment for the show. And it was great. Also, another significant moment for this show, Josh. Watchmen is finally the legal drama I have been hoping for the entire time. We (laughs) finally have the legal drama of Watchmen, Uh, and I'm so thrilled. Yes, Law and Order Europa is lit. (laughs) Uh, Actually, don't light a match because you might be in trouble. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you do such a thing, the whole thing's going to go up in smoke. Oh, my gosh. A very eventful hour of Watchmen here as we've resumed the Adrian Veidt storyline after a one-week yadis, as we say in other parts of the podcast universe that Antonio and I are involved in, and certainly some other major comic bookie reveals, but of course, with massive ramifications for just the show itself. I think that there's a lot to unpack from this episode, and I really can't wait to dig into it. If you have not yet watched 107, stop listening. We're about to spoil the heck out of it. A really, really packed episode of Watchmen, of course. If you are not subscribed to series regular already, we encourage you to do so. That way you're not going to miss a single episode of our Watchmen coverage. Make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice and your ratings and reviews. Greatly appreciated. You can always interact with Antonio and I on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazar with two Z's, one R. All of that out of the way, Antonio. I've just been biting through my tongue. Dr. Manhattan! <laughs> He's Dr. here. Dr. Manhattan, he's here. He's here. And hey, baby, we're in effing trouble. <laughs> he's here and he's Angela's husband. He's Cal? Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> well, look, we knew something was up with Cal, but I don't know that we would have expected that he was that Dr. Cal Manhattan. Cal is Dr. Manhattan? This is cool. And I hope that Damon Lindelof and the entire writer's room, Stacey Osei Kufor and Claire Keischel, who, who wrote this episode, uh, and everybody else in the writer's room, feels really, really happy about this because I think there was obviously a lot of people knew that Jeremy Irons was going to be Adrian Veidt. They could just figure that out. That was pretty, you know, out there. I think that it was picked up relatively quickly that Will Reeves and Hooded Justice are probably the same person. There were a lot of clues there, but I don't know that I've seen a lot of Cal as Dr. Manhattan takes out there. So they hid Dr. Manhattan in Tulsa fairly effectively, I would say. It, sure, it certainly explains why Lori seems to have such a thing for Cal. Uh, right. <laughs> and it certainly explains a little bit of the tension from Angela to Lori's side. There's a lot there to unpack for sure. Uh, in a show, you mentioned Hooded Justice. And in this episode with Angela's early fascination with Sister Knight, in a show that talks a ton about representation, it's fascinating to take Dr. Manhattan and put him in Cal's body. It is really a cool thing. And I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's reactions on this. And I'm really looking forward to, before the the end of the season hopefully uh, getting the blanks filled in about how this happened about what oh, yeah. the choice was uh, i'm really looking forward to that but for now it is a jaw-dropping reveal a very rewarding reveal one that recontextualizes as i was saying a lot of those interactions just really enjoyable and this is one of those exciting moments where it's just like th- I'm so thankful for this show being a weekly show because now we live in that space of like okay so how does this make any sense how does any of this right. track how is Cal Dr. Manhattan what what does this mean what are the ramifications of this that it's not just that Angela's husband is secretly Dr. Manhattan but that Angela's husband is secretly Dr. Manhattan and Angela's husband didn't seem to know it and Angela's husband is secretly Dr. Manhattan and Angela did Angela <laughs> This is a very big deal on so many levels, and we've got time to process this. We've got time to theorize. We've got time to think about it before we start getting some of these answers, presumably in the very near future. There's only two episodes left, Uh, so it's going to be very exciting to dive into all of these corners of this game-changing revelation. I, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat seeing how they're gonna how they're gonna parse this all out. The next episode of the show uh, being directed by Nicole Cassell, who directed the pilot and the second episode as well, uh, and also being co-written by Jeff Jensen and Damon Lindelof. Lindelof obviously on the record as as being uh, you know a huge Watchmen disciple of the of the comic books, but Jeff Jensen as well. This is a foundational story for for him and his storytelling and the way that he processed Lost when he was you know talking about it for Entertainment Weekly. So you got to imagine that we're going to get a lot of Dr. Manhattan stuff in the near future. Right now, really, all we can do is just kind of be like, 
awash in the bright blue glow of the fact that this is a thing. I don't know. Like, how do you how do you even begin to approach this? Like, what does this trigger for you? This idea that Dr. Manhattan is not only actively on the show now, but has actively been on the show in some way, shape or form. He's been here the whole time. He's been right in front of us this whole way through. Well, and we can just look at the episode, the details with Lady True, for example, saying, look, uh, your grandfather told me this. Your grandfather told me not only is he here, but the 7K plan uh, is to kill him, essentially, and then become him. We hear that from Senator Hakeen as well. So Hard times being a white man in America, oh, so let's try being blue. Yeah, okay. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was also saying, I said several times he's not racist, right? So uh, great take from, from Senator Keen there. Hot take. Not great, Bob. Usually, not uh, great. usually reading that online from a keyboard, not uh, hearing it expressed uh, vocally. So not, not great, great Bob. Senator. Yeah, not, not great, great Bob, Senator. Right. But all these characters have been talking about Dr. Manhattan. He has been a character in the show without us even realizing he was Cal. He's been a character in the show throughout. Think about Will Reeves in the second episode saying to Angela, maybe I'm Dr. Manhattan. I learned how to put human skin on and I'm walking around. Uh, and we think about just uh, the doc in a box. And we think about Lori calling Dr. Manhattan. And we think about the fact that this is just a, a thing that has been referenced throughout Red Scare and people at the, the police station panda debating secret identities of superheroes. And maybe Dr. Manhattan was hooded justice. So he's been there, of course, in the DNA of the show. It's Watchmen. Of course he would be. Uh, but he's been on our screens the whole time. And I think it's fascinating to think about at some point, it seems like, 7th Cavalry realized this. Was this why Angela wasn't shot way back in the day on the White Knight? Where did Cal go in that moment? How does Cal not know? And what does it have to do with this chip that seemingly is planted in his head? Who developed that chip? Was it was it Lady True? Was it Dr. Manhattan himself? So these are all fascinating questions. But like I said, the recontextualizing a lot of a lot of these scenes throughout the show uh, will be fun to look at now that we know that Cal is Dr. Manhattan. Cal telling, for example, the kids uh, that God is real uh, and that that grandpa judd's not in heaven uh, is right. an interesting take there's a conversation with angela and cal uh, where they say where angela says to cal like you know that guy grandpa he told me he was dr manhattan but we know dr manhattan's on mars uh, right so all these conversations definitely have a different tenor and that's great that moment when when cal and angela are talking and cal like you know pretends like he told Lori everything and angela says you didn't say any of that you lied he says i lied and she goes you hate lying and he goes i do yeah and he didn't tell her about her ax his accident which uh right was that an accident that created the dr manhattan connection there was no accident there was no accident he does not have amnesia it is forced by whatever the this this chip is in his head and he is dr manhattan crazy stuff this is crazy this is absolutely crazy and it's obviously a huge reveal it's a it's a wild ending i think it's one that's going to be really exciting for people who who've read the graphic novel but i think that the show has done a very effective job at selling the importance of dr manhattan to the universe of the hbo drama and certainly if if it hadn't already been been stressed so mightily throughout the series it is it is highly emphasized here in almost a religious awe here episode seven of of the of the HBO series, which begins and ends with some Dr. Manhattan action. We get like the big, you know, the real footage of Dr. Manhattan in, in Vietnam and his story as uh, the son of an immigrant watchmaker in Brooklyn. We get, you know, some backstory on John Osterman and how the world views this man. And then we go to Vietnam and we're still kind of having like a little bit of a nostalgia trip or we're waxing to use the terminology according to PDPedia. This is what the kids say when you're tripping on nostalgia. You're waxing. You're waxing nostalgic. Uh, here we are waxing poetic about Watchmen. But we're getting we're seeing a lot of uh, Dr. Manhattan paraphernalia in Vietnam through Angela's memories. So you're seeing the importance of this character. You're seeing a lot of different views of this character. There are people who are who are dressed up in Vietnam wearing, uh, you know, blue paint and wearing face masks that represent Dr. Manhattan. There's the puppet show that seems like a pretty like pro Dr. Manhattan take only for us to find out that the that the puppeteer is in league with somebody who is going to who's going to blow up, you know, the center of the square and kill Angela's parents in, in the process. When Angela's grandmother, when when June tragically has a heart attack, June's dead. That's sad. Uh, when, when June, Very sad. That was awful. When when June passes away, you're going to see in the in the background, the, the big sign, the big spray painted Dr. Manhattan as a murderer with devil horns yeah. on his head. So there's just a very complicated look at who Dr. Manhattan Manhattan is just in 
like the the subtleties of this episode just as like sort of like the almost like the set dressing of this episode but then when you come to the end of it and you have someone like angela who has grown up in vietnam this is her home has apparently been in a in a, at least on her end a willing relationship with Doctor Manhattan for the last however many years however long they've been together uh, is a really exciting and alluring and intriguing prospect and I think that the show did a really good job of selling us and and setting us up on just how how phenomenally important this character is to the story that we're watching here. Right. And you're right that it, it is heavily in this episode and it has been featured throughout, but this is the episode where we actually see Dr. Manhattan and not just on a, a video screen on Mars, uh, which I, that apparently now is something's not right with that. If he's been living in Tulsa as Cal, although he is able to separate himself. So who really Yeah, maybe knows? he's living multiple lives. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. You know, he's in Tulsa. He's on Mars. He's in uh, in in Rio de Janeiro. I don't know. He's wherever. <laughs> he's uh, wearing a lot of masks. In uh, he's just at the VVD day, uh, right? Celebrating. Uh, he's a, he's a puppet. He's all over the place. No, it is a very important character. The beginning, as you're observing, with the documentary style presentation about what he specifically did in Vietnam, and then as you're talking about all the murals and things we see there, talk really. I think speak to how complicated a character he is from the graphic novel. The the Dr. Manhattan character is so complex because he can see time in such a unique way. He knows what's going to happen and what already happened. And he's having to converse with humans on their level despite that. And that makes him very difficult for them to relate to. And he has to make choices about humanity, whether to save them, whether to help them. He makes very difficult ethical choices in that regard. And throughout the graphic novel, in basically every instance where Dr. Manhattan appears, uh, this is on the, the table about Dr. Manhattan. Who is he? What kind of decisions does he make? What motivates the decisions that he makes? So it is a very complicated character. I think this episode did a very good job, just as you said, in the set dressings, if you want to call it that, just what's going on in the background of some of these scenes, really contextualizing how complicated a character he is. And that's without the cow of it all. That's without saying what he's been doing in our story uh, and the way that he fits into this. And is he connected to Lady True or is he connected to Will Reeves? And if so, how? Is he connected to Adrian Vite? And if so, how? And what those connections are are super complicated in the context of our story, leaving aside all of the stuff we already know happened. So great for him to show up, I think, right before the Millennium Clock, 11th hour, perfect time for Dr. Manhattan to come into the story. Perfect timing. I can't wait to see what they do with him. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. There's a lot to talk about with this episode beyond that ending. Beyond? But st beyond, we got to talk about beyond taking Angela to the land of Ecadelia, but I don't want to go there quite yet. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do want I do want to talk a little bit more about Dr. Manhattan insofar as we find out, as you mentioned, more about what 7K is up to. And we find out more about what 7K is up to by way of Lori Blake going to Jane Crawford's house, sitting in the wrong chair, the trap couch, as she is uh, submerged into, into, into the underground <laughs> layer, and finds herself face-to-face -face with Senator Keene, who I guess the initial plan was they were going to, to you know get him to be the president and install a white supremacist president to the white house another one uh, but instead what they what they come up with is something grander they say after a while that seemed very small potatoes and i think we have a pretty good idea of of what their bigger ambition is now they don't want to just he doesn't want to just be the president antonio i think he wants to be a doctor uh, he says it's a hard time being a white man in america so let's try being blue he wants to become dr manhattan like that's what that's what lady true says that's what 7k is after they're going to capture Dr. Manhattan within the hour, uh, and they're going to destroy him, and then they are going to become him. So not only has white supremacy appropriated Rorschach, but they are also going to appropriate Dr. Manhattan on top of it. And as Lady True speaks of, that is, uh, that is a threat to humanity as we know it, obviously, to have that kind of power and that kind of weapon. And no wonder, for example, would Dr. Manhattan want to hide uh, because he is a weapon. And if someone could figure out a way, and they're, they're using Lady True's technology, uh, the 7K, so the fact that they're using all of this technology and her plan seems to 
be to stop them. It's very interesting to me. If and we trust her. If, if we, we trust her, her that's what Lady I'm getting Drew at. Saying yeah. is true, yeah. That's what I'm getting at, because she may want to control the weapon just the same. She may have her own motives. Now that we know that Beyond is her mother and that she's talking about her mother's memories and her mother's memories involve Vietnam, you've speculated on this podcast that in some way, shape, or form, Lady True may have been the daughter of a woman that the comedian, Lori Blake's father, murdered in Vietnam that Dr. Manhattan witnessed. So if there's all that connective tissue there, and there are all these complex issues that we see with the United States colonialization of Vietnam, the occupation, the 51st state, the invasion, and the capture of Vietnam, uh, maybe Lady True wants to use Dr. Manhattan for her own purposes, and maybe they do involve Vietnam. That's been something that's referenced in the PDpedia content throughout the course of this season, that there are groups that want to liberate Vietnam from being the 51st state, and it's possible that Lady True is connected to that. Um, one of the PDpedia materials this week, after last week's episode, talked a lot about facts and fiction about Lady True and a lot of the rumors there are out there about her, and one of them was that Lady True secretly finances the Vietnamese Liberation Front. So these are possibilities that have been introduced by the show and by the canon of the show. Uh, so it may not just be that the 7K is bad and Lady True is good by someone's terms. It may be a lot more complicated than that. Even though Dr. Manhattan is blue, this show has dealt a ton in gray. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some gray to this story. Dr. Manhattan being linked directly to Lady True makes a lot of sense in light of what Lady True says about how the fact that that Beyond is her mom uh, right. didn't like, you know, I, I think uh, we didn't fully uh, grasp what that what that may have meant. But we, we've been on the case of this of like, obviously, like she's feeding her memories. And it sounds like the memories that she is uh, meditating on the, the dreams that she's having are literally of another person. So it makes a lot of sense that she's, you know, actually, we know from the fact that Lady True deals with like genetic modification. And that's a big part of how she made her fortune, that for her to like genetically be like a clone of her mother with her mother's brain and her memories and everything makes some sense. Beyond that, in in that conversation with with Angela, she says, how could you blame me for wanting my parents to be here for my big day? And she says, oh, your dad's here too. And she says, not yet, but he will be. She also later will say in, in you know, a few scenes from that point, that Dr. Manhattan is here in Tulsa. And she seems to have a pretty strong grasp on who Dr. Manhattan is, or at least seems to, to really understand that Angela knows who Dr. Manhattan is. So I don't think it's a big leap for her to, to know that Cal and Dr. Manhattan are the same person. Right. So does that connect to you? Like, is Dr. Manhattan Lady True's father? Is that is that literal? Is he figuratively her father? Like, is it that Dr. Manhattan brought Lady True into this world by saving the woman who the comedian shot and fathered a child with? Like, is it something like that? Is it that Lady True was somehow, like, tutored by Dr. Manhattan? He's like a father figure to her. Either way, you got to imagine that there is a real closeness between these characters. Even even if it's just one-sided, I got to imagine that there is some sort of reverence or some sort of really intimate relationship that Lady True has with, with Dr. Manhattan as well. I would think so. Uh, it is possible, of course, that her father is someone else. Uh, I think another possible candidate, of course, would be Adrian Veidt because she took over his company. She has a statue of him there. She seems to hold some degree of reverence for him. And the fact that he may show up as well into our Tulsa story is certainly something we've been tracking throughout the season. So I think that's a possibility. But the Manhattan connections are clear. Uh, what I can say about Lady True, and we see this in her invocation as they're about to set off the Millennium Clock uh, that Angela is watching on the video screen as she disconnects herself from what is an elephant, <laughs> a natural host uh, for oh my spinal God. fluid. The elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. The elephant never forgets. That's right. Uh, so there's a good connection to memory there. But because she's saying that, we're reminded, and the PDpedia materials after last week's episode about Lady True remind us of this as well, that Lady True is not just exceptional. She is exceptionally exceptional. She has achieved and, and done some magnificent and almost otherworldly things with science and with innovation. 
motivation, and she seems to be raising Bjorn in much the same fashion. That doesn't mean that she couldn't have done that from any scenario of child being raised as a child. She could have just been born a very special person and been a prodigy and moved her way up there. A rose can absolutely come from concrete, but it's also very possible that some of her achievements and her pursuit of them could be linked to some familial heritage uh, that would have something to do with Dr. Manhattan and Adrian Veidt. What I'm saying is, if that were the case, if it was one of those two, it would make sense how this exceptionally exceptional person would have been able to achieve. I mean, she she graduated from MIT at an early age and then bought it within a few years. Like, I didn't yeah. even realize it was for sale. Uh, Unbelievable. So exceptional. She really is uh, something special. And so it would make sense if she came from a literal god descending from on high like Dr. Manhattan or if she came from Adrian Veidt and she was some way, much the same way she's treating her daughter, Beyond, who is her mother, Maybe she was in some way uh, cultivated by Adrian Veidt, and that's why she has his company. Um, those things would make sense for sure. So I obviously I think we will find this out before the end of the season. Another thing we're going to find out, speaking of Lady True and her efforts, we are about to, Josh, activate the Millennium Clock. And I think we yes. got the most we've ever had in this episode of discussions of the Millennium Clock, and I feel like we still don't really know anything. No, I still don't have any idea other than that bomb's going off soon. Uh, certainly there's two episodes left, and at different points in the episode, we're getting like an actual countdown to when the clock is going to be activated, right? At one point, it's 12 hours. How much further does that push over the course of the episode? It's a good question. It goes from like 12, I think, to 9 to 4 yeah, so we're we're getting yeah. getting close to crunch time. We are. Uh, but remember, 35 minutes before it's about to go off is when it will actually go off. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so it's going to be uh, 11, what, 11, 30, uh, 36? Something like is, that, yeah. Is when we should, uh, should be, or is 11, 26, rather, is where we should be really nervous. And I'm, I'm, well, I'm really nervous now. Uh, some of the things you hear in the background about this clock, at one point, I think somewhere in the nine o'clock hour, the announcement, you can barely hear it, but if you put headphones on and you crank it up, one of the things you can hear is that report for removal of any remaining metal implants. Uh, so whatever this clock's going to do, it's not just going to tell time. I think that's a very, very clear thing. You don't need to remove metal implants for a clock that's just going to tell time. When we see the overhead shots of the clock what we see are the takeoff and landing spots for all of those flying machines that we know they have i am definitely skeptical of of what the clock will be uh, but it is going to be something significant for sure and i think it definitely keys into whatever her plan is the announcement says lady true's invocation is for our ears only uh, the future thanks you for your service so th this is her secret plan to save humanity um, we have speculated on this podcast that is she going to use the mesmer technology and flash this clock uh, and stop the 7K or cause them to kill each other. Uh, I could see that happening, honestly. Uh, and I still think that that's in play with whatever this clock is. Yeah, but I, you raise a really good point about we know that 7K wants to become a small army of Dr. Manhattans now, or at least Senator Keene wants to become Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and that's a terrifying prospect. But is it any less terrifying if Lady True wants to become Dr. Manhattan or if Lady True wants to be able to possess the, the capabilities of creating another Dr. Manhattan? And I, I think that there's reason to suspect that that's on the board. I mean, think back to the end of episode four when it's first revealed that Lady True and Will Reeves are in league. What Will Reeves says is in three days, Days, we're going to do what we're going to do and Angela's going to hate me for it. Like she's going to know what I've done and she's going to hate me for it. Well, if what Will Reeves is doing is working with Lady True to alert her to the fact that the 7th Cavalry wants to turn Dr. Manhattan into a, like turn themselves into a bunch of Dr. Manhattans, that they want to take Dr. Manhattan and destroy him and become him and that involves taking Angela's husband, which is still crazy and, and destroying him and becoming him, then why would we be mad at Will Reeves? Isn't that Will Will Reeves being a good guy. So what are Will Reeves and Lady True additionally planning? That's what I'm nervous about. That's that's a shoe that has not yet dropped for me that I am definitely holding my breath for. Yeah, and I'm, I'm given to wonder if what he thinks that she will be upset about is the whole nostalgia trip, if that's the part of the plan she's going to hate him for, or if there definitely is something more to it. I mean, obviously, it seems to me that Will Reeves knows who Dr. Manhattan is as Cal. And if that's the case, then their plan may also have been to kill Dr. Manhattan. 
and not to keep him. And maybe that's what they're going to, she's going to hate uh, them for. Maybe Dr. Manhattan is just going to be removed off the board. And Lady True's plan is that no one can weaponize him because he's gone. So entirely possible, right? That this tower is somehow going to do that as well. Brutal. Yeah. If that's the case, if that's the case, then I would say it's it's at least possible that we see a 7K Dr. Manhattan before the end of this season and that the clock takes out that version of Dr. Manhattan. It's at oh least, my God. It's at can least you possible. Imagine, can you imagine a Rorschach mask-wearing white supremacist Dr. Manhattan? Yeah. It's at least the, possible. Auda- the, the audacity of such an image <laughs> it's is at like, least on the like, table. I, I, like I, I, I hesitate to even like imagine what that looks like because I feel like Alan Moore will recite some incantation that will strike me down immediately. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm already just, gone just for bringing it up. It's so divide. What a divisive idea. And, and yet I feel like it's within the realm of possibility as we're closing in on the end game here, which is a crazy thing to suggest. Yeah. Well, Angela would have walked out of the room right now because that's the craziest shit she's ever heard. So, yeah, uh, but oh, I, I do think that that her hating that her hating will probably has something to do with them taking Cal away from her. And he recognizes that because he he definitely knows that right. Cal is Dr. Manhattan. How he knows that, we have no idea. And I don't, I mean, just thinking about it in the wake of watching this episode, I couldn't really think of anything. We, as, as we talked about last episode, we don't have the blanks filled in with what happens with Will Reeves from like 1943 or whatever till now. We don't know where he goes, what, where he was. We have some more information filled in after last week's episode from PDpedia via the memo uh, that Agent P wrote about the will of Captain Metropolis, Nelson Gardner. We found out that Nelson Gardner was killed in 1974. He was beheaded with the, at a, during a, after a mysterious car accident. Uh, he was ejected through the front windshield. And that in his will, his sole beneficiary was Will Reeves. Uh, and that they found Will Reeves working at a movie theater in Harlem in 1975. So he's not in Vietnam in 1975. He is in Harlem. Does he eventually go to Vietnam? That seemingly is where Angela and Cal met, according to the story. So if that's the case, uh, then whatever the Dr. Manhattan plan was maybe started there. And was Will Reeves hip to it because he was there because June had died there, as we saw in this episode? Uh, We still have to find that out. I can't really fill in the blanks with speculation beyond what we've just done because there just isn't enough there, I don't think. But I do think by the end of the season, we will find these things out. I'm still thinking about a Rorschach mask-wearing Dr. Manhattan. It's upsetting. It's upsetting, but one one possible less upsetting outcome would be if if your guy and mine, Wade Tillman, were to be the one, right? Because we find out in this episode, Detective Petey goes to Looking Glass's house. We do not know what happened. We just know the aftermath. And all of those 7K soldiers who came to Looking Glass's house, they dead. They're super dead, except one of them has a missing mask and Wade is nowhere to be found. So you have to imagine that Wade has taken a Rorschach mask and is doing what? Is he infiltrating 7K further? Is he taking matters into his own hands? Is he stepping closer towards reappropriating whatever image of Rorschach people had when they thought of him fondly from the days of the comic book? Like, are we going to get something akin to a good guy Rorschach in Looking Glass, in Wade Tillman, the bean eater himself? And if that's the case, and if we know that 7K is going to be trying to get themselves all dolled up as Dr. Manhattan, and it'll probably require stepping through some of these chambers that have terrified Wade for so long throughout his life. This man who has a degree in extra-dimensional sciences, as seen in the diploma on his wall, is he going to take the hit? And is he going to become Dr. Looking Glass? I would really... Oh, wow. That is something I did not... Uh, that did not occur to me. I would I would really... Uh, he's. He, he, I don't think so, but I would just like to put some positivity into the universe because it's a much happier image than the other one that I floated. He knows where the extra secret underground layer is, right? Like, he has been there if it's the same place. Right, and That right. is where Lori is now. So it would be nice if he showed up uh, and at least he and Lori were able to work together, perhaps to stop that from happening as the way... Which would be a, a nice echo yes. of when Lori and Night Owl used to work together. Exactly. You know, 
and and the way that Rorschach and Night Owl used to be a team. Like it would just be like kind of like it would feel like sort of a, a not quite classic team up, but a really nice uh, like cover version of something like that. Right, and I I think I could see that that happening as far as his story. Uh, we also see outside of Angela and Cal's house, right? Someone from Seven K is watching as Angela pulls up there. Is that Wade? Uh, there seem to be more than one of those people in the car. It's just a very quick shot, so you can't really see. But I, he could be waiting right there, and he could thwart whatever they're doing sitting there waiting. We know the clock is ticking. Lady True has said within the hour this is going to happen. So they seem to have really good ideas. Lady True, Will Reeves, that whole group, they seem to have a really good idea of what 7K's plan is. That seems to be the time uh, of her Millennium Clock. I don't think it's an accident. They're using her technology. I, they're just There's some connection there, and I don't know if it's that Will Reeves is, is infil has infiltrated them or not, but there, there's definitely a connection. Um, you could see uh, that possibility of him infiltrating them, right? Like he's familiar with putting a mask on and pretending to be white. It is something that we know uh, is in his DNA, and we are repeatedly reminded of it with Angela's just going to the nostalgia again and again and having these uh, just moments uh, that she just seeing flashes and we are constantly reminded that this is something Will Reeves did. So of course it's very possible that he infiltrated 7K and he has still done that and that's how he found out what the plan was, that's how he found out what everything was going on and he needed a Lady True's help with. Um, this may have been something because of his connections to Tulsa that he did long ago. As I said, we just don't have the, the blanks filled in on Will Reeves to know when and where he was where he was but it seems entirely possible to me that he infiltrated 7k and that's why he took out judd crawford that's why he knew who was cyclops and who wasn't uh, and so forth so i think tbd he's clearly not in there providing the natural host for the spinal fluid it is not a good idea that angela see her grandfather right now so where he is we don't know but hopefully he and looking glass are both ready to thwart whatever the 7k plan is because it doesn't sound like it's going to be good for cal Knowing from this episode that Frances Fisher, who plays Jane Crawford, that she's in on it, right? That she's 7K. Do we feel that, that that's just like a full-scale indictment of Judd? Like, at this point, are we pretty comfortable saying that Judd was, was part of Cyclops? Or do you think that there's still more to that story? I'm willing to say that there's probably not too much more to that story. I think that the theme that emerged this week in, in some ways from that is that the, that it's complicated, that Dr. Manhattan can do a thing that seems like the right thing in helping America win a war. Uh, and was it a war of oppression? Uh, is there something he could have done differently? We don't really know. That's something the comic does a really good job of getting into the intricacies and the morality of. And that's something the show, I think, definitely puts front and center, as you were talking about earlier. So it's possible that Judd Crawford's involvement goes beyond just being racist, right? That his that he really does feel like even though he's prejudiced, he's doing the right thing. But he says to Will Reeves, right? Doesn't he doesn't he give him a you people trying to right. help you people? Yes. Like yes. so at, at a baseline level, whether his intentions are it's not good. Not good or not. Yeah. He he's he's obviously got uh, some serious problems. I think Wade encapsulated it when he said like he was a white man in Oklahoma. Like, like, of course, he's going to have some prejudices as Wade's implication. And Wade says that as a white man in Oklahoma. Right. So that, that I can't be ignored. And it is it's possible that there's that just because he's that way doesn't mean that in his mind with that worldview, he doesn't think that he's trying to do a good thing or that what he's doing isn't for the best. But it's his version of best there that obviously comes into the discussion and certainly can be evaluated through a lens that would show that that version of best is prejudiced. It's prejudiced at best. It's probably just outright racist. It's probably laden with a lot of issues. So I don't think it's easy to say that he's a good guy acting undercover, like maybe we're speculating Will Reeves would have been. I think it's fair to say maybe at best he was a very complicated guy who in his own mind was trying to do the right thing, but was still prejudiced uh, and maybe, in, in fact, racist. And I think we'll, we'll probably find out some more details on that before the end of the season. But if we don't, we don't. And I'm comfortable with it being uncomfortable. Like, I'm comfortable with it being how it is uh, yeah, for in, sure. in, the, in the way that it's, uh, it, it's kind of dealt with, for sure. 
What did you think of the fact that we finally got to Vietnam this week? And <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm eating some of my own words from last week where I was like, oh, yeah, well, she's with Lady True now. And Angela's just going to be able to get right back to her old self and lickety split. No time at all. Instead, she has to, like, have all of the nostalgia purged from her system. And her memories are intertwining with Will Reeves's memories. Um, and what we get out of it, and I'm, and I'm glad that I didn't get it quite right, is that we get a lot of Angela backstory. We get to see her parents. We see, unfortunately, what happened to her parents. We see, unfortunately, what happened to Angela, that she is then, you know, raised in an orphanage and her grandmother, who she's estranged from, comes to get her and then has a heart attack immediately. The second heart attack after the first little one that made her feel nostalgic herself. You know, it's it's a very, very sad backstory. We get a little bit of a, of a we get we really get to, to find out where Sister Knight comes from, that this was like the, the one movie that she herself wasn't allowed to have. And I think that that's compelling to me in that Will Reeves was so greatly inspired by a cinematic hero of his own. And here's Angela Abar, who is inspired by a cinematic hero of her own uh, to become Sister Knight. Representation matters. I mean, it's... What did you make of all of this? Yeah. This, is, this is really compelling stuff. It's, it really is. And you cast that against the backdrop, of course. It, it We see a little bit of the fish out of water stuff when uh, June says to Angela, like, I imagine you don't see too many people like you around here. So she's a stranger in her own country because it's not her own country. It is something that has been appropriated. And that's fascinating uh, when you think about the connections between her and Will Reeves' story, that Will Reeves was made to feel unwelcome in his own country by the people who had appropriated it from others. And he has to carry that around with him. And that's his memory. That's his. That's what he wants Angela to understand about where she came from. So it is all very, very complicated. And I think it is dealt with in a, in a messy way uh, in some ways. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I I mean, messy because it's a messy issue. And I, I say this to say that, for example, when young Angela in 1987 buys the videotape and she walks outside and we see Burgers and Borscht on screen from the comic, we see this puppet show with the Viet Cong dancing on the puppets and a Dr. Manhattan puppet coming in over the title card and almost religious awe at the puppet show there. Um, the puppeteer himself having some kind of scars in his face, one can only assume he was probably part of this, this war and is now having to treat and entertain his occupiers. And then we see flashes as young Angela is watching this puppet show of the horrible things that happened in Greenwood. And so I'm meant to think, are we the baddies, right? Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head that the show is introducing, that, that they're saying, okay, this is like uh, having this guy put on this puppet show of Dr. Manhattan taking out the Viet Cong who were just living there, and we invaded the country and fought with them. Not to say that they were doing good things, but I'm just saying, like, that's the show. It's so complicated, of course, and that's what the show is handling. But then when the suicide bomber uh, walks away or bikes away, some more flashes connect him to the atrocities in Greenwood. Right. So then it's just like, is this just overall a feeling that's connected? Is it just the nostalgia that, that Angela can't avoid these trips between her memories and Will Reeves' memories? What are the triggers here? What is the show meaning to say? Is it just meaning to all say? All of this has yeah. happened before and all of this will happen again. Right. Is it just messy? And I think that's what it is. I think it's just a very messy situation where there are no clear winners and losers and there are no clear heroes and villains. Uh, and it's easy to see Dr. Manhattan uh, as a hero in many people's eyes and as a murderer and the devil horns in other people's eyes. And it's important, I think, that we as viewers and just as people in the world are able to be well-adjusted enough to think about things from that perspective. World issues, foreign policy, things that happen uh, are very complicated in that way. Just as you're trying to help someone else, you're probably hurting someone else. And in doing so, you're making some kind of moral judgment or calculation. The Vietnam War was a lot about that. Of course, it was also about about the Cold War, about the Soviets, and about everything that was going on there. But those moral calculations were being made moment to moment uh, on the ground at the one-foot level and from the sky at the thousand-foot level. And Dr. Manhattan is a perfect representation of that. So I thought the way the show handled all of that with what you talk about, the background stuff, the set dressing, the multilingual uh, Vietnam that, that Angela was brought up in, uh, I think it's phenomenal. And I think it's really cool to think about that Angela Abar, that we've come to know in 
on this show who from her very first scene told us she's from Vietnam and she was from Vietnam before it was a state uh, and then came back to Tulsa. This is who she is. This is what's in her DNA just as much as Will Reeves, just as much as what happened in Greenwood. She is a person with a lot uh, inside her. And I think it's great that we're seeing it all because Regina King in her performance throughout makes that really land and does a phenomenal job of showing the pain associated with those moments, showing the confusion associated with them. She literally falls out of bed from the suicide explosion. Uh, but I, I think she is an actress deserves no less than material um, this complicated because she can do it. She can pull off uh, just about anything that you give her. We've seen it in the past. And I think it's great that we get to see her as an adult watching herself as a child and coming to grips with all those memories. It's, it's just a, I thought a really, just like last episode, really, really well orchestrated, put together episode of television. Antonio, last week on the podcast, we were talking about, you know, kind of predicting what the outcome for Angela on the nostalgia would be. And we started getting into reading more about nostalgia as PDpedia has outlined it and what some of the side effects of nostalgia are. And you ran down the list on the podcast. And one of those side effects uh, was flatulence. <laughs> I thought this is where you were and, going. And uh, you 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 just got you got the prediction just wrong. You got the wrong character. <laughs> you got the wrong character in the wrong storyline. Little did we know that when we returned to Adrian Veidt, he would be on the 365th and seemingly final day of his trial, and that he will would not have uh, emitted a single peep as it pertains to his own defense until he chose to rest that defense with a very loud uh, signal blast to the sky. <laughs> uh, what what was your take on checking in on Ozymandias and uh, the, the fart heard around Europa? How is it that one show has uh, delivered on, on the complex issues like I was just talking about and also had... It's, it's crazy <laughs> to me that this is the same show and it, yeah. it does feel fairly seamless. It does. It, it does. I mean, we go How? from Angela's <laughs> eyes to the... To the to the skylights uh, in that great trial room there at the manor. Uh, yeah, how? How do we have the, the dock in a box joke and this flattest joke in the same show? Uh, I don't know, but it's so deft and so wonderful. Really just hilariously done. I, I thought the way that the trial scene was edited and shot uh, with the close-ups of the mouths and the, the wildness and the screaming pig. The trial was a pig circus, Josh. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. I would like to see, um, hopefully on PDPedia this week we have the constitution of uh, Europa Manor whatever this is and we get to find out uh, specifically what the con law situation there in uh, in in the manor is because I don't know any situation where we've got a one year trial and we have uh, we have what we have I like the exhibits you see in the background uh, the partially uh, put together spacesuit uh, the drawing of the one eyed uh, monster the one eyed squid there yeah. uh, just really really good and the the way that the crookshanks and Philip really get into this trial it's it's great no horseshoe we have seen the horseshoe throughout no horseshoe appears here and that seems to be the only thing that's missing we did did you catch this there's a wink uh from right. the crookshanks who is the prosecutor after she closes uh to adrian Vite. what did you make of that wink yeah i know that you think maybe it's it's loaded to me it, it just was like screw you like take that master like she like she got him uh, there's just nothing he could say and she just aced it uh, and maybe that it was like a testament to the fact that like he's been underestimating the intelligence of the Phillipses and the Crookshankses over this past year to be honest one of the things that I was thinking about was I loved this scene I thought it, I thought it was so I thought it was so funny but I thought it was mostly a really funny scene and there there wasn't much to me that like moved a plot needle one way or the other and as we're barreling this close to the finish do we have time for a scene like this how did this advance things any any further really than where we left him right right uh where like he's under arrest where the game warden has him by you know by the tail did this really push anything that much further i would argue not really no um no ex except for the fact that it does strike me based on the Crookshanks' performance that it's that it's possible that the Phillipses and Crookshanks have gotten more intelligent. Now another potential read on this and the reason why Ozymandias himself isn't so concerned is because much as Adrian Veidt often does, he's got a plan. And it was implemented more than 365 days ago. And this Crookshanks 
who is speaking in this moment is actually acting. As we know that Ozymandias has tried to instill some measure of, you know, yeah. teaching the craft of performance Real to tears. a in the past. Real tears. So is that what the wink signifies? Is the wink a signal of like, I got it. Like they, they're they they're buying the performance hook, as Jeremy Irons would like to say, hook, line, and sinker. It's a good question when you talk about whether it's advancing the plot. The wink is the thing that I think about. It's just such a quick moment. The reason I think about it, too, is... It's really hard for me to understand exactly what the what the development cycle is of a Phillips or a Crookshank. We know we know that they come from a lake uh, and that they're ripped out of there while they're gestating in some way, and that within a minute uh, they become fully formed adults who cannot speak yet and who make mistakes, right? Who don't understand things. And the the thing that the reason I brought up the horseshoe is with the not yet, not yet. When this horseshoe has been provided to him in the past, he keeps saying, "I don't." need this yet or he gets angry this is a horseshoe not a knife is this something that he's been planning throughout i don't know like it it, what level does his plan take and has he been training these these phillipses and crookshanks and the reason i bring up their development is they seem to be gleefully participating in the firing of their own bodies into the sky Like, they're cheering it. They're fine with it. They're happy with it. And then in this invocation, or the closing, sorry, convocation, uh, when everything is happening here uh, with with Crookshanks and she's closing the prosecution statement, she's bringing that up as it was this horrible thing that he was doing, flinging them into the sky. They were gleefully participating in it. So have they evolved, as you're saying, it's possible, or were they in on it in some way? And are we seeing some version of that? What I can say is... While the game warden appears to be a Phillips, he seems to be separate from the manor. He lives in a different area that Adrian Veidt has to ride to. It's marked with his symbol. So maybe he's not part of their overall group. And maybe there is some insurrection among the Crookshanks and the Phillipses. And that's what that wink represents. I, I, I'm hopeful that that's what it is because even if even if it isn't, I love the scene. What a great thing! Yeah. What a great what a great thing you just said. An insurrection with the Crookshanks and Phillipses. <laughs> I'm gonna miss this show and it's gone. What a blast! Yeah, yeah you can even talk about something on that level, right? Yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. An stuff. insurrection with the Phillips and Crookshanks is, is just wonderful. Antonio, what else from this episode really stood out to you that you want to make sure we hit before we go? Well, we talked about Lady True's father and what. Whether it would be Dr. Manhattan or possibly Adrian Veidt, one of the things I didn't say that I wanted to at that time is in her invocation, when she is starting the Millennium Tower, she quotes from the poem Ozymandias. And she says, well, she sort of quotes, she modifies it a little bit. She says, generations will gaze upon our mighty work and not despair. And that is, of course, just a slight modification of gaze upon my mighty works and despair. So the the general attitude of that poem uh, is one of, I think, the it just speaks to the downfall of hubris in that way, that it is it is uh, a poem that is beside essentially a destroyed statue or just a, the downfall of a civilization. And you read that and you read like, I am Ozymandias, king of kings, look upon my works, ye mighty, in despair. Like this is something where this person was thinking they were the greatest and look where they are now, what you're reading this statue or this broken down world, you're reading this poem. So it is interesting that she invoked that, that in her invocation, she specifically invoked Ozymandias in that way, the poem that Adrian Veidt took his name from. So I don't know if that means that there's a greater connection, but that definitely jumped out to me for sure. I really liked uh, all this stuff. I, do you think that June was only back in this story uh, for this one a moment to just meet Angela yeah. and die, see Paris and die? That's it? Yeah, I can't imagine what else we have time for with June at this point, right? I mean... She she passes away there, and it's an additional layer of tragedy for Angela. You know what is the what's the further appearance of the character? The you only know, like I, the only way I wonder, and the reason I, I bring it up is 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 possible when Angela when Angela young Angela asks June, "Do I have a grandfather?" June won't answer, and she starts talking about Sister Knight again. I do wonder if from 1943, when they flee to Tulsa uh, with Marcus and Angela, and at some point June and Marcus become estranged, is that because June and Will come back together? 
uh, and was Will waiting for Angela there in Tulsa without anyone knowing it in 1989 when June showed up to pick up Angela? I don't know if, th- if that's a- an answer that the show will provide us. I think ambiguity is something that is in the, we say DNA a lot on this, but in the DNA of these Damon Lindelof shows, of course, uh, something he talked about on the official Watchmen podcast uh, where he talks about these episodes three at a time. Ambiguity is something that, that he is very familiar with and has no problem with. So if that story is ambiguous, I, I think that's fine. I just wouldn't shock me if we ultimately do see one more or two more appearances of June if we are filling in the Will Reeve story in some way over the next couple of episodes. I, I could see that happening. Yeah, and also the the idea of Lady True having Beyond as her mother, right? Like, is there is there a version of that that Lady True is going to help Will out with June? Like, can she bring June back for Will is something that I'm wondering as well. Oh, that's a, that's a really good thought. Uh, and that's, I, I would assume, very possible. It is something where you, you wonder, like, how does Will Reeves, if he, if he in our version of what we're talking about, he's in Tulsa, he infiltrates 7K to the point where he is able to uncover their plot, realizes how dangerous it is, and realizes he needs Lady True's help to, to fight it. How does he have a line to Lady True? Like, how is that an open door? Can anybody just call up this eccentric trillionaire? It doesn't seem likely. So is there something more to connect all of this together? I think that is more likely, and I could see that involving June at some point. Uh, I, I don't know, though. Yeah. Anything that you took away from the fact that Cal was reading for whom the bell tolls? It tolls uh, for he. That's uh, It tolls for he because yeah. he gets the hammer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez. For the end of the Crazy. episode. He gone. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Crazy. It's very bad and very gruesome. Gross. Um, reminiscent of a moment in The Leftovers. I thought uh, pulling something out of a body like that, that's significant right. or important. I wonder what that little disc is. Again, uh, we'll just we'll just have to find out. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, we are uh, we're one week away from uh, the penultimate episode of Watchmen season one, potentially the penultimate episode of Watchmen. We just don't know what the future holds, whether there will be more than what we have at this point or uh, it'll just be what we get. Either way. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a killer ride, Antonio. <laughs> it's a killer ride. Uh, right. It really is. It really is. All right, so the next episode coming up, A God Walks Into a Bar, directed by Nicole Cassell, written by Jeff Jensen and Damon Lindelof, coming your way December 8th, 2019. Antonio and I will be back talking about it here on Series Regular, which you can subscribe to on your podcast app of choice. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. Make sure you're following the two of us on the Twitter bots, and we will talk to you all about Watchmen as much as you wish. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. Two Z's, one R. THR.com slash Watchmen is where you should go to read more about Watchmen on The Hollywood Reporter. I strongly encourage you to check out that link. Uh, I think there will be things for you to read tonight that you will be happy to engage in. Antonio, anything else? No, that's it for me. I really uh, just continue to be very pleased with each episode of Watchmen now. I'm in an almost religious awe yeah. of this show. Well, and me, now I have to take off my red scare mask and get this Cheeto dust from around the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my do. God. It's that metabolism that keeps you eating so much. <laughs> I wish I had that red scare metabolism. Same, yeah. same, same. Nice. For sure. For sure. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>